Welcome to the Hello First Name Podcast. The Hello First Name Podcast revolves around the term personalization and is brought to you by marketing author Rasmus Holin, founder of Omnichannel Institute and chief experience officer at the marketing automation software company Agilic. The podcast is based on the book Hello First Name. Each episode is based in turn on a chapter from the book, followed by a discussion of the very same chapter with an expert marketing practitioner in the following episode. As always, you can buy the book on Amazon or other bookstores. You can also choose to listen to it all for free on your favorite podcast service. You're also very welcome to download the abstract of the book for free, and all models, of course, are able to download. All downloads are sponsored by Agilic. I'll make sure to put a link to everything in the show notes. But you can always connect on LinkedIn, and I'll be happy to reply and help out. Chapter 10. Insights, Part 2. Moments of Truth. Marie knew this wasn't the best solution. The results, however, were still quite good, which confirmed her suspicion that her team was onto something even better. The FT.com subscribers, who'd received the Usage Digest before year's end and had been confronted with the actual use of FT.com, how often they'd used the service, how many articles they'd read, and even how many articles they'd shared with friends, showed a significantly lower churn than the control group, to whom the team had chosen not to send the digest. This was good, of course. However, Marie knew that although a lot of subscriptions were up for renewal around New Year, the majority were scattered throughout the year. So why not use this insight and trigger these usage digests on an individual level in accordance with the individual renewal dates? She went through the idea with her team and they all agreed. Plus they came up with additional ideas. Josh suggested they combine the usage insights with the algorithmically determined subscriber-specific price sensitivity insights to determine whether to tease for an upsell to the next tier. Brilliant. Nathalie suggested they expand on the flow and look to see whether there were more than five individual subscribers within each customer's company. If this was the case, then they could automatically set up a task for their account managers in the customer relationship management system to reach out and discuss the option of a group subscription with the client. It wouldn't be the easiest thing in the world to set up, but once they'd done so, it would run automatically and continually improve their churn rates as well as customer lifetime value throughout the year. They should even see a lift in group subscriptions if Marie's suspicion held true. And they usually did. What is a moment of truth? A moment of truth is one type of insight. It is much more dynamic than a customer belonging to any of the traditional marketing or value-based segments that we discussed in Chapter 7. A moment of truth is essentially a moment in time where a customer or potential customer is, or should be, making up their mind about a decision that involves your company. Should they go to the health club today, even though they haven't been there for a while? Should they purchase the bikini? Should they put their loan payments on hold for the summer holiday? Should they go for a test drive in that car they've researched so much? In the example above, Marie is trying to accentuate or even create the feeling among FT.com subscribers that they are getting a lot of value from their subscription. The timing is just before renewal, so that when renewal comes around, hopefully the subscriber will recall this feeling and be more likely to renew. Marie is trying to create the intent of renewing the subscription in an implicit and subtle way. Moments of truth belong to the customer. In its essence, the moment of truth belongs to the customer and not to your business, in much the same way that a customer's journey belongs to that individual customer. This is due to the fact that you basically have no way of knowing what goes on in the lives or heads of your customers. 
As Chapter 7 explained, no matter how good you become at collecting and integrating data, and no matter how fine-tuned your algorithms are, you'll never get a full picture of what's going on with each customer. So the best you can do is try to be less wrong. Make approximations based on the data that you do have. Did someone leave an item in their basket on your website? It could mean that they were disturbed and really wanted to buy it. Or did they just want to see what the actual shipping costs were? Or did they accidentally add a product they don't really want? Or perhaps they're just waiting to see if you'll send them a discount voucher. Chances are that customers who leave stuff in their shopping basket will have a much higher interest in shopping with you. So of course, you should try and make this happen. As the popular and perhaps slightly naive saying about personalization goes, it's about sending the right message at the right time. If you get the moment of truth right, the right message could make the difference between the customer making the decision that is in your favor or the opposite. Discovering versus creating intent. There's a difference, however, between whether you're trying to discover intent in your customers or create intent when there isn't necessarily any there to begin with. All outbound marketing is basically around creating intent. An example that is often used when discussing how to discover intent is when behavioral data from a company's website shows that someone in the Northern Hemisphere is browsing for a bikini in February. This is a clear indication of intent. There is most likely a good reason for the behavior, since it's unlikely that there will be many casual browsers in this category at this time. Again though, you can't know for sure what the reason for this behavior is. Could it be that someone is browsing for a present? Or that they need a bikini to take on holiday to a warm destination? Or might they just like to wear bikinis at home? Nonetheless, it is still a significant indication of intent. Not proof, but a strong indication that this customer has the intent to buy a bikini very soon, either from you or from someone else. If you deliver the right message right now or very soon, there's a chance you can affect the decision in your favor. The danger of creating an unintended intent. In the example from FT.com that we used to kick off this chapter, there isn't necessarily any apparent intent from the customers who receive the message. They could be either satisfied or dissatisfied. They could be either heavy users or light users. For some customers, the message may serve the intended purpose while for others it could serve as a reminder definitely not to renew their subscription. If you have a good product that people generally use, it should not be difficult to decide whether to send out usage statistics like FT.com does. But still, some will see the message as a reminder to cancel their subscription when the time comes. That can leave you in a dilemma. Should you still send it to everyone, or perhaps omit the ones who have light usage? It depends. In Chapter 3, we mentioned a conference presentation given by Gibson Biddle, former VP of product at Netflix. In the same presentation, Biddle shared this exact dilemma with the audience, but with the choice of whether or not to send a payment reminder to trial customers before the first payment after the end of the free trial. Wasn't it the responsibility of the customer to only sign up for services they intended to use, and also to leave before the trial ended and money was withdrawn? On paper, yes, and Biddle conceded that by not sending a reminder, Netflix would probably have to handle a fair number of complaints, but at the same time, gain a little more money from trial subscribers who weren't necessarily ideal customers anyway. However, Netflix chose to send the payment reminder to everyone, despite the cost. Yes, a few more people would have chosen to end their subscription, but the brand trust that this message built with existing customers was believed to generate much more future business value. This is a brilliant example of the potential trade-off between short-term and long-term business value. If you find yourself in this dilemma and you suspect that your customers aren't using the service and will most likely choose to quit if reminded about an upcoming payment, then we'd argue that there is something wrong with your product. 
it is not acceptable to make up for this by falling back on dodgy or even downright unethical personalization tactics. Finding moments of truth. In contrast to the insight of segments, moments of truth are dynamic and fleeting by nature. As the fundamental motives framework suggests, see chapter 4. Any of the fundamental motives can be active or inactive at any time. So a customer might ponder a certain decision over a long period of time, but this doesn't mean that they are constantly thinking about it. As a marketer, it is your job to get them back into activating the fundamental motive that relates to your product or service. You're not trying to make them buy something they don't need. Rather, you're trying to make them buy something they need before they'd otherwise do so, and to increase the chance that they will buy it from you and not from a competitor. Dynamic data indicates a moment of truth. The data clues you can collect, and that will serve as indicators of moments of truth, consist of behavioral data from websites, emails, apps, digital sensors in products, in-store, and so on. For instance, behavioral data from a website would enable you to discover the customer who is looking for a bikini in February. Additionally, you can use data from transactions, products, subscriptions, and other details from the customer relationship. In the example of FT.com, Marie used data from customers' subscriptions to individually trigger the emails. Most countries have public registers and databases that can serve as third-party data. This could be, for example, real estate databases and license plate registries. These can also be used to identify moments of truth. Knowing from a real estate database that a customer of your furniture business has moved to a bigger house, for instance, could signal to you that they'll be looking to buy more furniture soon. Absence of data can also indicate a moment of truth. In Chapter 6, when we introduced the bowtie of personalization, we used the example of Pure Gym Denmark, reaching out to all of its members who hadn't been to the gym for a while. This is an example of using an absence of data to identify a moment of truth. For each member, Pure Gym would expect to see behavioral data from its clubs indicating attendance between one and five times per week. If it doesn't in fact see this data for a specific member over a period of two weeks, for example, then potentially the member could subconsciously be slipping out of the habit of going to the gym. Or have they been on holiday? Or have they been sick? Again, this is not an exact science, and there are many potential reasons for certain data to be there or not to be there. If you're not certain, then don't paint yourself into a corner where you claim to know what's going on. What Pure Gym knows is that there is no data coming from the clubs for a specific member, and they can do explicit personalization related to this knowledge. As for the potential reasons, they should tread carefully and not assume there's a habit being broken. Therefore, in a reactivation message, they should be curious and open as to what the reason for the absence could be, and gently suggest what the customer could do if a lack of motivation is indeed the cause. Another example where a lack of data can indicate a moment of truth relates to win-back offers. If you don't have any transactional data showing that a customer has purchased from you over, say, the past three months, then there's a fair chance that indeed they haven't bought anything and that they may not do so again without a little extra carrot. A win-back offer or voucher could be the right message. But could it also be that your customer has lost their loyalty card and is still shopping with you? Or that they've forgotten their password for your app and can't be bothered to figure it out when doing a purchase? Or that they've bought something so small that they don't care about having it registered and earning the meager number of loyalty points you give in return. Or that someone else from the same family has made a purchase for the household. Sometimes posing a question can be the best message, rather than assuming any one particular interpretation. If you're using email, including three options that the customer can simply click to let you know what's happening. Digging deeper into moments of truth. We realize that the term moments of truth is in use for many different purposes and with slightly different meanings. In the following, we'll dig a little deeper into this discussion. 
how Google uses the term moment of truth. Over the years, Google has used the term moment of truth as well as the term micro moments. In 2011, Google criticized the use of the term FMOT, first moment of truth, by Procter and Gamble and coined its own term zero moment of truth, CMOT. According to Google, the real moment of truth in all likelihood happens way before the customer stands at the till and reaches for their credit card. Rather, it happens when the customer makes up their mind to make the purchase after having interacted with a plethora of channels digitally and in real life. This is the CMOT, and it could have been weeks earlier. In this book, we're expanding on the idea of the CMOT to make it apply to all kinds of customer decisions that somehow involve your company. In 2015, Google expanded on the topic of the CMOD with a more holistic view of so-called micro-moments. The company defines micro-moments as follows. Micro-moments occur when people reflexively turn to a device, increasingly a smartphone, to act on a need to learn something, do something, discover something, watch something or buy something. They are intent-rich moments when decisions are made and preferences shaped. We do appreciate and agree with this more customer journey-oriented perspective, but we disagree when it comes to the implicitness of intent. If you're making the most of your money from intent-based search marketing, then it makes sense. However, if as a marketer you always waited around until an intent was present, you'd be losing out. Hence our definitions of moments of truth as times when a customer or potential customer is or should be making up their mind about a decision that involves your company. You could almost say that the purpose of an outbound message is to make the customer turn to a device or store. Algorithmic indications of moments of truth using AI and advanced analytics. Returning once again to the Pure Gym Denmark example, we saw how the company used two weeks of absence from the gym to identify when they needed to reach out to members to make sure more people got back in the ring. This is a very simplistic way of determining an insight, but of course there are more advanced methods. Within marketing, artificial intelligence, AI, was a big buzzword in 2018 and 2019, taking over from big data from 2014-15 and business intelligence, back from the Stone Age. Business owners can use AI algorithms, self-learning or not, to determine churn propensities, brand affinity scores or similar. A churn propensity could be represented as a score between 0 and 1, showing the likelihood of an individual customer cancelling their subscription. A brand affinity score would signify the degree to which a customer was fond of a particular brand. The scores and propensities are calculated based on various data inputs to an analytics model or algorithm, which then produces outputs, for instance the scores and propensities, for marketers to act upon. In the case of the churn propensity score, the model might also provide underlying reasons so that marketers can motivate behavior that, statistically speaking, will reduce the risk for each individual. If you work with AI and analytical models to determine propensity scores and such, then keep in mind that this is not deterministic knowledge, see chapter 7. As with any other moment of truth, you can't tell for sure what's going on or how correct or precise the score is in each case. So once again, use this probabilistic insight with caution, especially in terms of how explicitly, see chapter 3, you're addressing the insights from it. Not all moments of truth are marketing's responsibility. One important thing to keep in mind is that not all moments of truth belong to marketing. This is based on the idea that marketing does not necessarily own the part of the customer lifecycle where the customer relationship could benefit from a proactive outbound message. Often, moments of truth aren't related to direct short-term value creation, but instead address soft topics such as uncertainty, gratitude, knowledge and storytelling. However, this shouldn't stop you from reaching out to customers when they have questions such as 
Are my goods on the way? How is my claim handled? Did you receive my return order? How is my donation spent? Or what was the story behind this furniture design again? A proactive message in these moments can greatly affect long-term value in terms of brand trust, customer lifetime value, net promoter score, see chapter 14, and thus word of mouth. Moments of truth matter the most within marketing automation. In the book, Make It All About Me, Rasmus Holin and Colin Shearer point out and describe several classic moments of truth in a typical retail and subscription customer lifecycle. They roughly divide the customer lifecycle into three phases, attract, grow and retain. Within these three phases, they describe several suggested moments of truth to be addressed with automated communication on channels that fit each end customer's preferences. If you're short of ideas as to which moments of truth you could look for, then this is a great source of inspiration, especially if you're more used to thinking in a campaign mindset rather than organizing your ideas around marketing automation. Take a look at the ideas at this source to get your imagination going and start thinking beyond abandoned basket emails and triggered pleas to review the shopping experience on Trustpilot. We discussed in Chapter 9 how segment-based insights are what matter the most when you're working with your seasonal campaigns and need to decide which variants to develop for your creative messages. When it comes to working with marketing automation and customer lifestyle communication, however, you should instead focus on moments of truth. The number of important moments of truth you address with relevant messages matters far more than having these messages in variance for each segment. Value creation in marketing automation is the topic of our next chapter. Thank you for listening in on this episode of Hello First Name. Remember that all models and even a written abstract of the book are available for download. You'll find the link in the show notes. In our next episode, which is a more classical podcast style, we'll be discussing the chapter you just listened to, namely Moments of Truth, together with Gianfranco Cuchol, international CRM and personalization lead from Natura & Co. slash Avon, including the worldwide known brand Body Shop. Gianfranco was also previously global head of CRM at Aesop. How does the concept of Moments of Truth match the view of an expert like Gianfranco Cuchol? We'll soon find out.